So I work in uh, an NGO called mm-hmm. Human Asia, mm-hmm. and I'm working in a development cooperation team. So like, what I do is I um, plan and implement projects that you know, in, like providing things like education for like children in the developing countries, mainly like in Asia. Yeah. Mm. That's very cool, man. You seem to be doing a lot of great things with your life already. I'm old, and you make me feel bad about all the things you're doing. <clears throat> how did you, how did you get into the NGO? I know a lot of people in South Korea, especially high school students, and that they have to do like mandatory volunteer work, which is kind yeah. of a contradiction, right? But I guess that's not what you're doing. How did you get into the NGO work, Younger? Well. So I was trying to look for some like career opportunities because um, even if I'm still in my undergrads, I mm-hmm. I was looking for maybe work experience that I can uh, that is compatible with like my university courses so that I can like go to work but at the same time like kind of part time work and then you know go to school for two or three days a week and then so I started as an intern. In the NGO that I'm currently working in, but then I uh, fortunately got promoted as a regular employee. So I think that's how I got more involved in NGO works from then, from this uh, actually this summer. Yeah. Have you done? Have you been to any of the locations? Have you been to any of the developing countries that you're trying to help? Oh. Uh. Well, not yet necessarily because not only me, but. My organization was not able to travel because of COVID restriction, not only in Korea but also in the countries that we're doing projects. Um, but I might be able to go to Jordan in October, but we'll have to see about that. Yeah, re- like regarding the schedules and mm. like budgets and things like that. Sounds like a fantastic experience, man. Going <laughs> to Jordan yeah. in October, yeah, very cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, what? Let's let's turn this uh, conversation, I guess, towards the the work that you've been doing. Because um, I came across your work about a month ago when I I had to read through some papers for the Asia Society competition, and <clears throat> your one, your one, it won the whole competition, right? So there's this event. It's judged by the ambassadors from the EU, from Singapore, uh, from Israel, and all of these smart PhD students, master's students, they're writing about international relations and they're writing about geopolitics and nuclear energy. And you just crush the whole competition, get first place, <laughs> huge financial gains from it. Congratulations. Um, yeah, I, I voted for you. But what was interesting <laughs> to me is that you were addressing like the LGBT community and you're addressing contemporary Korean issues rather than these sort of big grander, you know, regional things. So why, why was it that topic? What drew you to, to looking at, let's say the LGBT community in South Korea, younger? Um, so actually I had like my previous um, experiences or my field of interest already lied in the um, gender sociology um, I guess more like in the context of Korea as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that like I think that the pitch that I had for applying for the Asia Society Voice of Youth, I knew that a lot of applicants are actually um more focused on things like 
international politics or international relations, like regional politics and things like that, um, which was what, like a concern that I had that like intuitively because my topic is a little bit different from other, you know, um, participants. So, mm. um, but I think that I still wanted to participate for the fact that um, as an undergraduate student, there's not a lot of research opportunity that I can do. And it's even when it comes to things like essay competition or paper competition, there are a lot of pre-designated topics. Um, mm. So there's not a lot of like chance for me to do research on the topic and themes that I am genuinely interested in, especially in the field of social science and um, like queer politics or queer sociology, things like that. Um, so that was why I was still willing to participate. And fortunately, I had a good result. But um, even aside from that, I think that I did really enjoy um, the all the things that I was able to do because um, it was almost the first opportunity or a first time for me to um, do an actual research. So even if I like did write some essays and things like that in my courses, I think that doing actual analytical research was mm. Um, it was the first time for me to do that, and it was really fun. And I think I realized that um, maybe uh, I do have some passion in the academia that I might be able to pursue in the future as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I, it was your work and your research and your methodology and your writing that made you win. It wasn't necessarily because of the topic. I think that just added an extra dimension to it. Um, you said this passion for sociology, uh, perhaps for, for queer studies and gender, that's definitely becoming a huge part of day-to-day -day life in North America, in Western Europe. I think less so in South Korea, so I'd, I'd like to try to unpack some of those ideas. When you were looking at the LGBT community for your research, obviously it's not just one community that's monolith, right? Inside the community, yeah. you've got lots of different people and groups and political persuasions and young and old. Did you find anything during your research of interest or of noteworthy about the LGBT community in Korea? Um, so I think that during my research, I think it was more focused on uh, like the Protestant institutions. Mm. But um, if I were to maybe look back on my research, I, I did interview um, the activists that are currently very prominent in Korean um, queer scene. Um, and the questions and the discussions that I had with them were actually quite interesting. Um, so for example, I asked them, so um, where do you think all these like hate, like hatred or things like misunderstanding, misconception all came from? Um, and what I heard from them was that it's not only the matter of like, you know, for example, Bible saying that like, you know, being gay is a sin or being gay is a bad thing, but it's also very much related to the political conditions and social circumstances that pushes these institutions to hate by uh, gay community or queer community. And I think that was the premise from which I started my research that, um, there, it might not be only the problem or it might not be the only the factor of Bible or religious scripts or um, certain like, you know, uh, like norms or things like that. But it's it has to be approached from a sociological perspective, um, taking into account um, the positions of these institutions politically. Um, what are the, 
you know, like things like political leanings and things like that. Um, and how does that affect the political or social stances of these institutions against the, um, by and large, queer rights or queer issues, and specifically in my research, the comprehensive anti-discrimination law. Mm. Um, so I think that was one thing that I found a little bit more in-depth as I was doing my research, that this should be approached from a social perspective. Um, yeah. It's it's really interesting you say it's not just about theological studies or verses in the Bible because, you know, for example, Western Europe has a much longer Christian tradition, has kings and queens and, you know, gay marriage and all that is absolutely fine there despite a much longer and more history tradition of Christianity in those cultures. So it's not necessarily just Christianity itself and that's why I think your research is good. You're looking at the sociological and the political uh, influences on this. Perhaps just before we get there, just to try to stay on the community a bit, um, I, I, I just mentioned that, for example, my international students at the universities, they'll send me emails with pronouns in their bios and things like this, or they'll ask me now to refer to them as a different gender in class amongst the international students. And I'm old, it takes some getting used to, but, but I'm going with the flows yeah. as best that I can. What is it like in Korea from your perspective amongst young Korean people, like amongst the Isipdes or something, or people in their 20s, is there a big focus mm -hmm. on gender and identity and sexuality and, and that kind of thing? What's your take on that? Um, I would say that there's a very lack of awareness in terms of, um, you know, by the sheer fact that there can be different gender identity or sexual, sexual orientation. Mm -hmm. um, even for me, when I was participating in other like programs with um, students from like United States, um, I noticed that they put their gender pronoun in the parentheses in their Zoom, you know, names and things yeah. like that. So that was really interesting for me. Um, and even when I went to uh, California earlier this year, when I was trying to, you know, um, register for COVID-19 PCR test, um, they asked me of my uh, gender identity and how I would like to, you know, be registered. Mm. Um, I thought that was all very interesting because in Korea, there's no such discussions on, you know, gender identity, especially in more official documents. Mm -hmm. um, and I think even when it comes to, so this is some, this is something that I have been recently contemplating on because usually among like the young people, there's this huge discussion regarding like, what would you do? Or would you be okay if your like girlfriend has a male friend and things like that, right? So like, would you be okay with that? Like to what extent are you willing to tolerate? Mm. Um, would you be okay with your, if your like girlfriend is having a meal with their, their male friend? Um, and I think that's a fun discussion to have. But aside from that, um, I think what I, feel or my observation to that is that I think people just think it's so like I think that the default identity that Koreans think of like individual is just still very much um heterosexual centric that people think that like people people think that like straight or being heterosexual is the default identity and that's something that is very like normal that's um to the extent that we don't really think about the alternatives that can exist which is very unfortunate in my perspective or even things like you know when i meet you know the old like older people or like family during you know national hol like holidays mm. um they ask me like when you're gonna get married um do you have a girlfriend and things like that um i think 
um, I think that also still like assumes that you know um, this whoever this person is that I am talking to is going to be straight or people don't even think in that way they just you mm -hmm. know take it for granted so I think that the conception of sexual orientation and gender identity is still very under discussed even among young people in Korea mm -hmm. um, and I think that's not I think that's very unfortunate because um, if you are someone who have a different identity, oftentimes you have to then go through a certain level of like dissonance, of, like you have to pretend like you are, you know, straight or you're cisgender. Um, and I think that there should definitely be more be more discussion and media representation. Um, I'm not sure how that will happen in a recent future, but like I really hope that that would happen. Mm -hmm. um, for for the sake of like inclusivity and equitability it's really interesting that you point out the differences between the environment say from california and south korea because i think sometimes we're very quick just to uh map one issue onto different countries without thinking of the the social differences and the cultural differences and you know people they might watch Itaewon class and see a transgender character or something and say wow wow korea is changing but like you're sort of pointing out the day-to-day -day realities are perhaps not quite like like that there is some media representation i heard this one story about uh you're talking about like nam satin your satin male and female yeah, yeah. male and female friends and this summer was the uh the summer of the water bomb parties so everyone in seoul's being yeah. going to these like huge water parties and the discussion online was do you allow your boyfriend to go to a water bomb party with his female friend yeah yeah exactly I, I thought that was quite a funny one um just just to stay here a little bit more in in this kind of thing like growing up in the united kingdom or even amongst my foreign friends i i know quite a few people in the lgbt community and it, it's it's never been a big thing because it's been there throughout like 30 years of my life um but amongst like korean people the number of korean people that have come out like in terms of celebrities or just day to day it's very different amongst the the 20s at university are you seeing more of that happening or do you think that's still also kind of the same way as it is with uh gender gender identity is it still kind of secluded or conservative younger um i would say that when it comes to the issue of sexual orientation, I mm. think a lot of young people are um, relatively feeling freer than in the past of coming out. So I have a couple acquaintances who um, disclose that they are not straight to me. Um, but I think that in comparison to that, if I think about gender identity, I have no acquaintance around me or my mm. friends in my close social circle that um, told me that they are not cisgender or they do not identify themselves in that way. So I think that there's a little bit of a difference in terms of how open we are, um, like according to different types of identity. But I think that it's definitely changing to an extent among young people um, mm -hmm. because I still remember when I first like came to when I first like came like entered university and there was this like Shinips like um and a lot of like student representatives were on the podium like talking about like you know their college and things like that and this one person um openly declared that that per like he is a bisexual and um that um our school needs to be um going for a more inclusive direction so if any one of you like freshmen are out there 
who are also going through a similar thing, it's okay. I think that was very interesting, like very interesting and also very um, positive changes that I think is happening in Korean um, universities specifically because there's a huge discussion on things like it, like equitability, um, how we should respect each other, at least like on a surface level. I think yeah. those kind of discussions are definitely increasing. Um, but I think that in terms of other social circles, like, you know, workplace or uh, uh, because I haven't been exposed to these um, other settings, I, I'm not sure if I can talk about these other um, contexts. But as of like my experience in my university, I think that things are definitely changing. Mm. Um, yeah. And I hope like it gets better eventually throughout uh, as time goes by. Yeah very brave of that person to say that at the at the freshers fair yeah what do you think is driving this change uh, is it just is it i mean a simple answer might be like netflix people are growing up and they've or the internet they've got greater exposure to a wider variety of media or they're just new people with new ideas do you have any sense about what's because there's a fundamental difference in values i think but in korea between people in their 20s and people in their 60s and 70s it's obviously sabasa everybody's different but yeah. on on like a generalized level what do you think is driving this change this more openness or this 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 bravery amongst these people young um i think well i wouldn't i could i cannot find an exact like one sure. answer to this but i think yeah. personally um things like for example um how young people are like increasingly not thinking marriage as an important like you know step of their life and mm. a lot of people say that they don't want to get married or even for me i um i don't reject marriage personally but i just don't really have that much of an inclination so like and i think that things like this actually um decreases the extent of emphasis that you know people put on things like family or um, things like, you know, because like I think that like the norms regarding family has a lot to do with, you know, the queer community, because, you know, when we say that like family is so important or like reproduction is so important, oftentimes that leads to um, disenfranchising people who cannot fit into that like model of I like family. Mm. Um, I think that generally that familial norm, like traditional familial norm decreasing um, probably has been a reason as to why younger people are generally more open to accepting different people or different identity. Um, I think also things like increasing discussion on gender equality, like in regards to between male and female. Um, I think these things definitely also helped. I think also um, it's not only related to the queer identity, but also regarding things like, you know, increasing um, international students in university and how um, that leads to the discussion of how we shouldn't discriminate people based on their identity. Um, and I think that can also spill over or extend to the discussion of like sexual orientation and gender identity. I think all these things intertwined was what um, fostered this change to an extent. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, it all centers kind of around individualism, I think, doesn't it? Because now people yeah. are no longer just want to be a dongseng, an oppa, an onni, or these are all tied to other people and sort of these broader familial relations. But I think now people just want to be themselves. They And this is kind of new in South Korea, like honbap and, and honsul and all yeah. these things. It, it came out as a trend like five, six years ago. That's weird to think of yeah, to yeah. me, but still very new. I must say this is a bit sort of Latin and Malia, but 
I yeah. was adamant. I was adamant I wasn't going to get married till I was about 60 or 70. I was going to remain a bachelor for my life, marry when I'm old <laughs> and just settle down. It didn't, you have all the plans now. Things do change. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Your paper and your research, Youngu, it was looking at trying to provide protections for the LGBT community, particularly with the anti-discrimination law and a lot of the opposition coming from the Protestant community here why those protections are necessary what kind of difficulties do you think the lgbt or the queer community here in korea what kind of difficulties are they facing so like before we get to these possible solutions what's the what's the problem what what kind of uh troubles will can be alleviated through this um i would say that there's first of all there's a general lack of media representation um and i think that even if i i would suggest that there are increasing media representation because we see transgender people on media especially like youtube and netflix mm. um but i think it still when it comes to mainstream medias like like dramas or um like reality shows i think um there's just general lack of discussion in regards to different identities that people can have um, I also think that um, the politicians are not actively discussing on the necessity of the protection. Mm -hmm. um, or even if there are discussions, I would say that there is not that much of a supporter in the political realm. Um, and I also think that the issue of protecting um, the queer individuals are very politicized to the extent that um, it's one or the other. Um, but if you compare that to, like, for example, like, providing protections for, um, let's say, like elderly, like, and, you know, giving them welfares and things like that. It's not as contentious as like providing like welfare and protection for the queer individuals. Mm. So I think that just the idea of how the divisive this issue has become and how it's no longer the matter of whether we um, protect or not, but it's also about like, um, going against the idea of like traditionalism, going against the idea of family, and how this has been framed in such way, I think creates a high threshold for you to support queer rights in Korea. Um, I also think that um, because, um, and I think that this is important because like the comprehensive anti-discrimination law isn't just like, you know, we should prohibit discrimination, but it's also about um, guaranteeing that access to social services that um, if someone like, let's say, fires an employee because, you know, they were gay, mm. um, that person is going to be liable for that. I think um, that's why I think comprehensive anti-discrimination law is very special in that it's not like a very rhetorical or principle um, like law, but it's more, it's very pragmatic in mm. that we want to um, guarantee the access to equal, like access, like uh, equal um, chance to, um, you know, use social services and uh, like welfares and things like that. Um, yeah. It's no, I, I, I completely agree. The protections, the access to various insurances or, or that social safety net that's provided. The, you know, you mentioned old people. There's also sort of it's meant to provide for various different communities but it seems to be the lgbt community the one that people have the most problems with um just 
just going back to that, you mentioned media representation. Has there been any media representation that you've enjoyed? We will come to the anti-discrimination law, but I mean, I'm, my memory is pretty bad, but there was the character in Mine, that strong lesbian character in the drama Mine. There was like a, a small bit of a lesbian couple in Isang Ambionoso Uyangu. Have there been mm -hmm. any others that you've seen or is, that, has, is it just still like not good enough? Um, I would say not. I I would say not in the uh dramas, but mm. um more in the YouTube contents and things like that. There is an increasing like exposure of um different individuals. I think that's that's a trend that I have noticed. Um, but one thing that I would also um note about that is that I think that the depiction or the portrayal of the queer community or queer individuals is very much focused on their sexuality itself. So like, um, and they're portrayed as like, for example, being very um, like sexually open or for example, being very flamboyant to an extent. Um, but I think that that also creates another type of stereotype against these individuals because, you know, you can be gay, but like be reserved or, you know, you mm -hmm. can be, I don't know, like conservative to an extent, you might be traditional. Um, so I think that there can be more diverse um, depiction or more diverse portrayal of these individuals. Um, and I think that the fact that this is more focused on the entertainment factors, I think that's also what actually creates the narrative that um, if we start endorsing these um, like queer identities, then uh, like the social morality will one day like, you know, be deconstructed. I think that's also one of the um, rhetorics that I hear from the anti-queer um, movements or anti-queer community. So I think that, I mean, sure, like increase of exposure is good because um, there has been like no exposure in general in the past. But I also think that there needs to be further discussion on whether the current portrayal or current method of depiction is also good or not and how it influences individuals on the ground, um, whether the um, biases that that can repro reproduce or um you know and how that also like uh influences the anti-queer voices and things like that it, it's such a really good point youngo because it's not just about exposure but the type of exposure and if the exposure always refers to their sexuality or it portrays these people in certain ways as very flamboyant or camp or, or whatever it might be a caricature almost it doesn't allow you to see the people as people first and foremost, rather yeah. than just a sexual identity. I mean, I grew up watching television and seeing these actors or these public figures and, and, and they're well respected in society and their sexuality is almost like a, as an afterthought. They're not known for that. They're known for being um, an actor. They're known for being a director or an intellectual, etc. And, and everything else comes second. Whereas in Korea, that does seem a little bit flipped. I mean, with great, yeah. res great respect to Hong Suk Chan and all the great things he's done, very brave and supporting the community. He's like the country's number one gay and it's his, yeah. se his, his sexuality, which is the important thing there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, with the, just staying on that, I guess, you, you were inside the Seoul Queer Festival uh, working for the organizational team. Now that that's that's been a big event and there you get the two groups clashing so much i wasn't there this year i had a very busy summer um but the the soul queer festival that's been going since about 2000 for a few years because of covid it didn't run 
what was it like seeing that come back? Did, did you get any sense of it was a relief it's come back? Was there trepidation about the protests or the Protestants? What was it like inside that atmosphere, Young? Um, well, first of all, I work as a translator, so um, I don't really have a huge decision-making power. Sure. Um, but I, I would say that um, it was not easy because uh, the, um, you know, the last time we had an in-person like Pride was 2019. Mm. And for two years, the Pride has happened online. Um, and I think that just to get the permission from the Seoul City to use the, uh, the, the, like, the plaza itself was also very hard because the, the process was delayed. There were like opposing like, um, people or, or opposing organization about how we shouldn't allow them to um, take over the place. Um, but I think that uh, the opposition is always there. It has been there like since like when like when the event has started, you mm -hmm. know. So um, I would say uh, that the degree of um, uh, degree the, the degree to which i was afraid of the opposition was um less important in comparison to the fact that it's coming offline um and it's finally being able to um take place in person mm -hmm. because i personally think that um as much as like online pride is also very amazing and it also is like has an importance i think that um the fact that we're able to have a like physical space where people can feel safe in i think that mm -hmm. still is a very important thing because when i was um like on the day of the event when i was working there i could see like for example like gay couple holding their hands like coming into the you know plaza or um people just openly expressing who they are and i think that that um was very like touching for me because you know when they go elsewhere they cannot feel that same extent of like freedom and the fact that they were being like genuine themselves itself, I think is very important. So I was very um, moved for the fact that it finally happened offline. Um, I also, um, there were like oppositions uh, also like offline during the anti-queer like protest and like gatherings. Um, and it was actually quite scary because um, uh, the, the, work that I did for the like during the event was that mm. I was at the information booth. So it was literally right next to the entrance. So I could hear whatever these guys are saying right outside. Mm. Um, uh, and they were very uh, angry and they were, um, you know, uh, like they were being very vocal about how this is unacceptable, um, how like these people shouldn't come to such a public space. Um, and like hearing all that really made me um, get scared. But at the same time, uh, so before the event, when we were having like the internal session, um, the the uh, head organizers would always tell us that like even if there are oppositions, it's fine. Um, you shouldn't be afraid of them because that's what they are intending to do. Um, so um, I think that like trying to uh, like recall these things and trying to like think that um, they don't like what matters is the people like in the space that actually are feeling safe um, and um, are able to express themselves. I think these are um, trying to like 
um, think in a way that these are more important was the way that I was trying to cope with at that like setting. Yeah. Mm. And for example, you mentioned a couple of people walking in, holding hands. You might never change the opinion of those there to protest, but for people just walking past to see that, I, I think that's going to be touching or or heartwarming to to you know just a regular person going about their lives. And that's why I think that that bravery uh, and those public displays that's kind of important because otherwise it's only that ignorance or that lack of knowledge. I think that. It's yeah, like Star Wars or hate leads the dark side. But you know what I mean? I think that exposure, yeah, yeah, and yeah. access to it is very important for people. Um, you mentioned <laughs> my mind's going all over the place with these questions. You mentioned translation. <laughs> you mentioned you do translation work now when because I've just read your paper again. But when I look at queer studies writing sometimes and I see words like um, cis heteronormative and patriarchal the, the language is very difficult sometimes it, it's not something yeah. that you you're going to read in a newspaper it, it's very academies it's very academic have you ever have you had to translate any of that is are you able to work between those two things in korean i remember looking for the word queer baiting uh in korean and i just couldn't find it like so i'm just wondering yeah. about the transfer of those concepts between languages sometimes do you have any insight or um, well, so uh, the most of the translations that I do are not necessarily academic. So it's okay. there's not a lot of that much of an intricate level of translation. But um, one of the things that I did was I had to translate uh, the subtitles for the um, queer cult, like queer film festival, cool. uh, like so Seoul queer film festival. Um, and there were a lot of like. Um, like jargons that I couldn't really find a, a direct translation, but or like even aside from that, I think that the translation that works in our organization is very like uh, it's very complex because we want to make sure that it the, the translated version is mm. still very inclusive because when we are, for example, even when it comes to making slogans, we try our best to make sure that uh, the slogan is inclusive. So for example, like um, we refrained from using the, like terms like ah love because that also um, like excludes people who are asexuals who do not have like the affinity to romantic relationships and things like that. Mm. So it's it's very complicated. It, mm. Like even coming up with those slogans is not easy. So when I when I translate, I think it's more about um, how um, comfortable people would feel when you know watching these subtitles. Um, and making sure that no one would feel um, triggered by that. I think that's more important part at this point. Um, and there are like our own dictionaries that we use. So if there are things like cis normativity or like heteronormativity, you should translate in this way. Um, yeah, there are like lists of vocabularies that we uh, refer to. That blows my mind that not in a good way or a bad way, but the idea that love would not be used because it would exclude people that are yeah. asexual, because I'm pretty sure for the last couple of years, the UK embassy has used love is great as their slogan at the festivals. So what was the slogan this year? Yangu? I'm sorry, it's personal. Um, I put you on the spot. Uh, so in Korean, it's um, 살자 함께 하자 나아가자. So, and I guess, yeah. How would you translate that? So the translated version was um, live on, stand together, 
step forward or move forward. It was one of these two things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that sounds good. That sounds good. It's it, it's very challenging to try to remain on top yeah. of, and, and to be inclusive. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> because the rules are always changing, and you try to stay considerate. Um, with this, just before we come to the to the Protestants and the other side, I'm just trying to stay here a little bit more. Um, one of the things we've kind of touched on it already is that the LGB or, or the queer community, they're seen as, as as producing, I think you wrote in your paper of accusations of breaking down tradition, lowering fertility rates and things like that. Um, how does the queer community respond to to those things? Because you know, life shouldn't be about fertility rates and life is not about numbers yeah. <laughs> and there's no, and there's no standard. So I, I'm not making that point, but I'm just trying to think because I mean, it does lower the fertility rate, not that that should be important, but I'm just curious, how does the queer community respond to those things or they don't respond or? Um, so I think, well, the queer community itself is quite decentralized. Um, because even for the organization that I'm working for, um, mo like I'm like working in other NGO and I earn like my salary there, mm. and it's sort of like a volunteer work. So um, there, there's few like only few standing staff so far as what I know, um, which is why like um, there's no like one collective response I would say, mm. but um, I think that there are um, some activists who try to like um write columns or like or like articles and like have them in the journals to directly like disprove that mm -hmm. um or uh there are a lot of like for example I, like some youtube creators who like respond to these things as well um but i think that um if i also think that uh like in terms of what we can do maybe uh i think to be honest, uh, it's I think it's more about how like I wouldn't say that the uh, inclusion of like queer community necessarily leads to the destruction of traditional values. Mm -hmm. But I would say that the already decreasing traditional value is what makes like queer individuals to be more open or to be more public. So I think that um, there needs to be more discussion on the causality and um, what what came first, or um, or I think that it's also very important to um, like propose or try to think of the um, alternative ways. Like for example, like allowing the um, same sex married couples to be able to adopt a children so that they can like you know contribute to the family and fertility if that is something that is so important, right? Mm. So. Um, I think this all goes back to the same question of how much we're willing to accept the diversity and different forms of like family unions and things like that. Um, yeah, but yeah, I think, yeah, that's that could be my answer. I, I, it's very scattered, but yeah. Are you positive about the growing acceptance? I mean, because there are obviously some people that, that want to live in the past, that want to live in a, a Korea's golden age of economic development and a growing middle class where, you know, there was this this jong in society and everyone was together and mm -hmm. um but we can't live in the past it, it is changing absolutely uh, and and we should we should allow change 
are you positive for the future of this for this inclusion for this more acceptance or i or, or do you harbor more reservations and fears that it might not get better because i think you know sometimes for young people there's there's sometimes a belief that there's this like Fukuyamian world that everything's getting better all the time. It's always progress. Yeah. I think I mean, COVID probably destroyed some of those illusions and then Roe versus <laughs> Wade and Ukraine. But yeah, on that topic here in Korea, are you, are you, are you positive? Are you hesitant? Are you fearful for the future in terms of inclusivity? Um, uh, I would say that I, I want to believe in a positive way. <laughs> but um, I'm not sure about what will actually happen because um, I think there are some progress that was able to have, like that we were able to achieve. Like for example, like again, like more media representation, or mm. for example, or like not only in Korea but in some countries, like Singapore recently decriminalized um like gay sexual intercourse or Taiwan like a few years ago, like legalized gay marriage. Um, so I hope that these uh, like trends, especially in Asian societies, do also extend to Korea. But um, in terms of the general like actual, like actually what is happening on the ground, I'm not sure if I can uh, foresee that in a recent future, because um, especially when it comes to the issue of gender, I think there is a very huge backlash against the um, gender ideology or um, like feminism and um, gender equality. Um, so yeah, it's very hard and it's very tough actually. <laughs> but um, aside from all the realities, um, I think that especially if you want to be um, involved in activism, you have to be somewhat optimistic yeah. to believe that like if you you know, um, keep trying and exerting effort and, you know, try to be part of this um, process, you will be able to um, create positive changes at the end of the day. So that's what I would wish to believe. Yeah. Well said, you need some positivity and, and sometimes just the trying, even if the results not there, knowing that, you know, you, you do what you believe in it, I, I think is important. There's the uh, Korean economist, uh, Tang Ah-jun, who always quotes uh, Antonio Gramsci, the Italian Marxist, uh, and Tang Ah-jun says, you have to be uh, a pessimist of the intellect, but an optimist of the soul. And I think that's a good way of doing yeah. it. You have to be uh, aware of all the challenges and, and, and the problems, but deep down you need to you need to create or, or carry some hope forward. Um, there was this, uh, just one more line before I go to the next question. I was looking at uh, the, the life and times of Kim Dae-jung, the 13th anniversary of his death. And um, in one of his last interviews in Korean, he said that the, uh, the military government came to him and they gave him a death sentence right, for his role in Gwangju. They mm -hmm. said, right, you, we're putting you to death. Obviously, he survived, but they said to him, if you come and work with us, we'll give you a good job and you'll be safe. And he said to them, if I work with you, I'll live, but I'll die in the minds of the people. And if I, if I don't work with you, I'll definitely die, but I'll live on in the minds. And I, I, I thought that was really good that even in the face of death or in the face of great oppression or things like that, it was more about sticking to, to something that you truly believe. And I, I, I think those situations yeah. make you realize, what do I believe, right?
Yeah. Is there is there anything there probably is lots? Is there anything we're missing about the queer community in in Korea? Is there any like misconceptions that we should address? Is there anything that we've missed out? Is there anything that we need to add before we move on from this part? Do you think, Yangu? Or... Mm, I would say uh, so. I think that each I think that the one of the thing that I feel in Korea is that. The reason why we see lack of discussion on um, queer community um, and their rights is because um, not a lot of people um, openly disclose their identity um, to the point where a lot of people just like um, don't see this issue to be very relevant with them. So, for example, if you don't have friends who are queer, you just think that like whatever these people are going through are you know, like very detached and far away issue. Um, but I think that it's very important that there might be someone like, you know, around you that actually is not straight or is not cis. Um, and I think that, and I think that that's what eventually makes people be more considerate. Like for example, because um, I think that when it's only like, like within the uh, like for I think that the parallel example is like for example, um, when it's only the Koreans like because and we're so ethnically homogenous and like racially homogenous when we do not have like foreigners um we might have a misconception but no one really bothers to care, um but I think that when when there's an increasing like, you know acquaintances who come from different culture I think that's what makes people more aware of the fact that um what you say or what you believe in might offend other individuals. And I think that that um, can apply similarly in this dynamic as well, that like, I think more people should think that even if they are straight or they're cisgender, um, people around them might not be, or even if, you know, um, people who are engaged in a um, like straight relationship, like romantic relationship, um, it might not be that they are like fully heterosexual. They can still be like bisexual, right? So mm. I think that trying to like not confine people into like the categories or boxes, I think that's something that I think is very important in um, fostering more discussions or just in general making people more um, like, again, like considerate or more empathetic. Yeah. It's, it, it might be, correlation more than causation but these days we see more focus on identity and various communities but yet from my personal perspective just my own thoughts it's like if you want to be progressive if you want to to be like you have to champion the rights of groups of which you're not a part like I'm not a woman, but I'll, I'll still say, yeah, women's rights. They, they need them. Feminism. That's a good thing, even though I'm not part of that community. And I'll do the same for the for the queer community as well, because it's it's on basic principles. Right. Rather than. Yeah. And that. And I think that's one of the dangers sometimes of communities that only champion their own rights. And then you get these kind of conflicts where that that those principles yeah. need to be important. But... I'm an optimist, Youngo. I think, I think things will get better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I it's, mean, I, I hope so too. 
look at it. I mean, I, I, I go into university classrooms and, you know, I, I teach aspects of this in my Korean studies courses over the last few years. And even on Zoom, students have been, you know, openly talking about it, uh, coming out in class and things like that. It's not everyone. It's just a few. But it, it certainly wasn't like that 10 years ago. And it wasn't like that 20 years ago. So there, there is something slowly changing here, which is uh, which mm -hmm. is good. I guess we need to try to turn the other side of the coin, right, which is only fair because you were writing about the queer community in South Korea and then the Protestant opposition to this. Um, I guess I want to ask, first of all, like, why not Catholic opposition or Buddhist opposition? Is there a reason why you just went with a Protestant? Was it just, no, that's the main uh, people involved or it was just to keep it at one community or? Um, well, Strictly in terms of the research, it's always Mm. <laughs> better to specify. Yeah, Um, but Well, um, actually, like, uh, I, I think I stopped going to church when I was in high school. But when I went to military, I um, went to church a couple of times because, you know, like in military, there's nothing um, like, you know, there's nothing better you can do. Like, like, Go to church you know, and smoke cigarettes, and isn't it? <laughs> like, yeah, like during weekends, there's nothing to do. So, um, but I think that um, one thing that I noticed about Korean church is that they are very inclined to show um, that they have a lot of number and they have a lot of believers. Um, so one thing that I noticed was that I, I wouldn't want to generalize, but um, there are a lot of like religious like institutions or religious like um, 
groups within the uh like in, within the military and what i not noticed was that the protestants were the most um passionate in trying to um like ha like up sway as mm. many like soldiers as possible to come to their um like religious gatherings and register as a christian believer um like and i think that they were even more um active in doing that in comparison to the catholic um cathedrals or for example like buddhist temples so one thing that i noticed was that um the korean protestants are very um passionate or they want to try to show that um they have a lot of numbers um and i think that also partially comes from their desire to want to um like gain legitimacy in korean society especially um based on the literature review that i did um for my research um, given that there's an increasing level of secularism or increasing level of or number of individuals actually who do not identify themselves as um, religious anymore um, mm. and therefore they want to retain that you know status of being number one religion in Korea um, and like if I if I'm remembering correctly um, you know like Korea has like few of the top five biggest church in the world or something like that yeah. so yeah. yeah so i think they really want to externally show that they are powerful and they're a well-supported group they have these mega churches like the yoido full gospel church and uh, they also have some of the most like the protestant evangelicals they have some of the most missionaries around the world as well i believe you know korea yeah. has a population yeah. of 51 but it sends so many missionaries abroad to do these things and and to spread the gospel um you've mentioned we, we've already covered this but i just want to be clear so we're looking at the protestants here in korea and 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 they're a large very vocal group now what are their main i i think we've covered it but i just want to try to be clear what are their main arguments with the queer community is it just like you're protestant so you have to not like the queers because I, I don't think that's right because if i think of western europe and things like that the two can probably should coexist um you know what would jesus do but what is it here in korea what, what in your research what are the protestant you were looking at the discourse what are they against specifically um so I think uh, definitely you have a lot of discussion or a lot of discourse is um, focused on, you know, just saying that this like Bible doesn't say that this is right or, um, and I think also this partially stems from the idea of how like, you know, in, in the past Korea had been very family focused, like traditional community um, and how they frame the queer community as of which they are the ones that are subversive to this traditional system. Um, and I think also um, the idea of HIV and sexual diseases and how like the queer individuals are the ones who spread these um, disease mainly. I think that's the uh, strongest argument that comes from these institutions, which I think is also very unfortunate because um, uh, that is a very uh, like, like, uh, distorted um, portrayal of how the queer community actually looks like and you know just um i but i think that like that message is actually very like um effective in you know gathering that 
immediate attention like if we accept these people then everybody's like will be exposed to HIV and sexual diseases I think that's so like strong message that gets so many people's attention so easily yeah yeah and it's wrong and it, and it denies people protections you know everybody needs uh you know sexual health clinics and education and things like that we need to open up this comment might be a little bit i i guess triggering for some i'll try to be inclusive but it's a real story when i first arrived in korea uh many years ago i had this kind of flip phone and uh it had a, a little basic english korean dictionary in which i would use quite a lot and if you searched uh hiv on that phone uh when i first arrived and this was like an sk telecom phone uh the, the the translation came up as the gay plague and, mm. and and that and i only say that story just to show how like institutionalized those concepts would have been you know as recently as 2005 you know and so people are using their phones and things like this that wouldn't come up today but i guess for many of the people that were growing up around that time that would have been you know some of the and you're right. That's what a lot of the rhetoric is. It's it, it's about disease and it's about fear, isn't it? Is, yeah. Is there any way to combat that? I uh, um, I think it. I I would. I'm not sure if this is a solution per se, but I think like. I think the reason why that rhetoric sounds so persuasive or becomes so persuasive is based on the fact that the um, sex education in Korean schools are so um, not complex, I would say, and it's very simplistic. It doesn't really like talk about, um, you know, like the sexual diseases, um, where you can get that, how, what, like what you should do, even things like teenage pregnancy, because, you know, recently in this drama, like was it um, yeah. like, People were going crazy when, you know, the like the teenage characters were like pregnant. Um, and I think that the general um, lack of discussion regarding, you know, uh, these things uh, is what makes that uh, misinformation sound so real. And I think that's how you get so much traction easily. Um, and I think that definitely so having a more open discussion on media or in schools, like, for example, being able to have a more accurate um, education or accurate um, information, I think allowing people to access these things is very important because that's, I think, the most effective way we can understand that these informations are fake or these informations are not accurate. Mm, absolutely. I mean, it, I, I grew up, like, every time you walk into a toilet or go into a taxi, there'll be condom machines and everything like that there. Oh. And I've been in Korea so long, I forgot about it. And I, I went to uh, Songdo, uh, to the uh, University of Utah Asia campus, and I was giving a lecture there. And I, I, I walked into the bathrooms and I was shocked because, like, there was condom machines and safe sex announcements and things like that, because it's an American university in Korea. But just that difference, that that sudden realization that I haven't the just simple exposure to things like that, which I, I was so used to, which I just really didn't see in Korea at all. I know so many uh, young students that were against the teenage pregnancy storyline in Uyduleblu's 
they were like, you shouldn't show yeah. this on television. Like, this is Tumal drama, right? This is weekend drama, Korean television. They were like, that should not be on television. And I, I respect their opinions. That's, that's what they <laughs> think. But I was quite like, wow, there's, there's real hesitance to, it's not just the queer community, I think, but the Protestants, but there's that focus on sort of purity and removing any discussions of things that might make people feel a bit uneasy related to sex, right? How is the, let's talk about this power dynamic because we you mentioned the size we, we touched on the size of these churches now the the queer community in Korea is obviously not very powerful it has a voice on social media and it, it does the queer festival and it, it's growing in power right but how powerful do you think the Protestant groups are in Korea? perhaps with reference to preventing or stopping the queer community. And I ask this for two reasons. One is that sometimes it seems like they're super powerful and they're stopping laws being passed. Other times I see like posts on Twitter or social media if I go on there and there's like seven people protesting and you're like, is that it? Uh, like, do yeah. you see what I mean? So I get conflicting yeah, yeah. views of how actually grand and powerful these things are. And we all like an enemy, but what's your what's your take on how powerful this Protestant group is, Yonu? Um, I would say that uh, there are a lot of believers still. Like there are a lot of people who identify themselves as Christian, but I think more than that, um, they do have a lot of economic power. Um, just for the fact that they are able to have mega churches, like, and in fact, one of them is very close to my house. Um, so I know how, you know, um, economically powerful they are. And I think mm -hmm. it's also very important to um, take a look at uh, the number of politicians who identify themselves as Christian um, and the number of people who are in positions of power who also identify themselves as Christian. Because one thing that I also noticed in the military is that um, all the, not all, but like most of the high generals um would show up in the protestant churches mm. and i heard that like they do that not only for the sake of religion but that also gives them the opportunity to network mm. and things like that like um believe whether or not that is true i think that that still reflects to an extent how um you know there are really powerful figures who are able to you know sway the important decisions of our country even things like laws um, like, for example, the past, um, like the former president, like Lee Myung-bak, used to be very devoted Protestant. So I think these still show that um, it might not be strictly based on number. So sure, the number of believers might be decreasing. But I think that in terms of the leverage that they have for the um, politics and like legislations and things like that, I think it's still very um, overwhelming, especially in comparison to the queer community, because um, what I also noticed recently is that uh, because this was the first um, online, uh, not offline uh, pride in three years, mm. uh, actually, there was a huge budget deficit, almost like 40 million Korean won. Wow. So, yeah, it's it's quite a lot, right? So, um, yeah, we are like the queer community is um struggling <laughs> not not only to get like equality and things like that but also mm. like economically and just to have a leverage but like in comparison to that i think that 
like protestants are very um well established and they have a lot of leverage um yeah and they i think that they still have a very huge influence in korean society Yeah, it's a really important point that although the number of Protestants might be decreasing across the population as a whole, they still seem to occupy influential positions of power. They're close to that that center of power. And and Yongu, your work was on more, uh, Pierre Bordeaux's habitus and cultural capital and things like that. In South Korean society, in certain parts, it might give you a lot of social or cultural capital to be a Protestant. Yeah, In other yeah, parts yeah. of the world, it would give you more cultural capital to be queer, right? You, you'd, <laughs> you'd be yeah. bigged up for that, where in South Korea, it's still very much to be a Protestant or something will get you closer up the ranks. Were you, were you a little bit, I don't know if this is too personal, but I'll ask it. Were you a little bit disappointed with the last five years with the last president? Because he was a, he was a, a Christian of another kind. This was a Catholic president, Moon Jae-in. Yeah. But he was a he was a human rights lawyer. He was a guy that was going to come in. He, he was called progressive by the press. They had this National Assembly majority to fast track rules through that they wanted. You know, I I would have thought if it was going to happen, it, 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 it would have happened there because now we're back under a conservative rule, perhaps less likely to happen Yeah. now. Was that a missed opportunity politically wise or do you have any or do you understand that it's hard for a president to do that? Well, yeah, definitely it would be very hard for the pres for a president to um do that. Um especially like the excuses that we all hear, like there's no social consensus yet. But I think um even aside from that, when I uh think of human rights, it's very very complex as well because you might be you know pro-human rights for um economically vulnerable you know individuals or um you might be uh you might be supporting the um equality for disabled people or for example like immigrants for for instance but you might not be you know like pro lgbt or pro queer because in fact like a lot of Um, charity organizations, in fact, are um, do have the um, like Christian identity or, or or are founded based on Christian identity, um, and they still support for you know like anti queer like rhetorics, even if you know they are the charity organizations and they want to support for the economic empowerment of the you know the vulnerable people. So I think that um, the former president, being the human rights lawyer, doesn't necessarily like it's not. Like it doesn't explain everything, and especially um, I remember during the election period, um, Moon Jae-in very outright um, ex like clarified that he is not supportive of the um like the same-sex marriage during the um debate with the conservative candidate Hong Jun-pyo, um, and like uh even if his like party or even if some members in his party support for like anti-discrimination law, he is personally against that. Um, idea, um, whether or not he meant it, because like you know, it's the election period. You might not want to you know make people angry, but I think that for the just for the fact that he was very openly declaring that he is not um supportive already kind of made me get disappointed. So I didn't really expect the anti discrimination law to pass, um, and I, it wasn't necessarily a surprise. Um, but I would say that I was a little bit disappointed. Um, last year when um. 
the online petition for the comprehensive anti-discrimination law um, received over a million supporters, um, but, you know, it still uh, didn't pass or it was, it remained as a very trivial discussion in the parliament. I think that part was a little bit disappointing for me. Mm. I, I'm really glad that you mentioned that former President Moon's statement during the debates. We don't know if he was saying it for political uh, strategies or, or whether he truly believed it, but it does remind people that that kind of discourse is normal from a democratic, you know, popular, seen as progressive president. Yeah. You know, and, and that's what I think some people need to understand with the context here. It's, it, it's yeah. different. You couldn't get a progressive person saying that in Western Europe. Uh, they wouldn't be seen as progressive. You mentioned one thing, which was social consensus. Now, I don't think I've ever spoken about it on this podcast, but there's this term that always comes up, Shigi Sangjo which yeah. is, uh, it's really hard to translate. It's like, you know, it, it's too early for that. We, we can't do it now. Yeah. Do you want to just perhaps, you're aware of the term. Do you want to perhaps try to give us, you're the translator, Young. Do you want to try to give <laughs> us an idea of um, how perhaps Shigi Sangjo plays out in this context or what it means or how it's used in these conversations? Um, yeah, so basically, I think that term is used to explain that, uh, uh there would there will be too too much back backlash that like you know these politicians cannot handle or the idea of how that will divide the society further because you know people did people didn't consent and if any controversial laws passed it will lead to like social division um and it will lead to things like conflict so i think that's the uh nuance and the implication of shiki sangjo which to me um, is a little bit funny because um, like I think a lot of changes that we have had like throughout history didn't necessarily all came from the social consensus because even things like you know legalizing abortion or like even like um, legalizing gay marriage in Taiwan or like Obergefell in the United States none of them necessarily had like a absolute majority of the social consensus so I think that but I think that it's the very intuitive way to explain that um or maybe like burden shift to an extent because um you know this is not something that we want to touch upon because this is controversial but at the same time politicians use that word to um sort of burden shift to the citizen mm. saying that like ah our citizens are not ready yet um we are willing to maybe discuss but like uh, maybe our society is not yet so we we will like postpone the discussion to later on so i i just generally don't like the notion of social consensus um i also think that i i, I do agree that social consensus is definitely important and if you pass laws that um people don't agree with that also leads to like backlash and this, this also leads to like further discrimination to the disenfranchised so i would say that the concept of social consensus in a very principled manner is very important sure but i think that if if the social consensus were to be um, an excuse, I would say that then there needs to be some correlative effort to reach that social consensus mm. um, rather than just like reiterating that excuse to explain why they cannot talk about it right now. 
I'm completely torn on that social consensus thing because sometimes I think it's one of South Korea's greatest strengths. Like if something's happening that the people don't like, God damn it, you'll hear about it. They will rise up <laughs> yeah. and, they, and they will demand yeah. change. They will say, no, we're not having that. And uh, in some sense, it's good because here, unlike, well, let's say North Korea or, or China or, you know, there are other places so geographically and culturally close that don't have that reliance on social consensus. So I think it's a good thing that people's voices are heard here. But at the same time, as you say, it's sometimes just a way for politicians to abdicate responsibility. So I don't want yeah. to make a tough decision on this, right? Because if I if I go and support gay marriage, I'm going to lose these votes and get these. And so they simply abdicate, I think. They they absolve yeah. themselves. And, and that's not leadership, really, I don't think. I, I think yeah. you need someone to stand up and, and take the shots and take the blows and say, well, you know, yeah. this is what I believe in and I'll take it. I've often had this thought that if I grew up in 1980s South Korea uh, and 1990, rather than the United Kingdom, that I would probably be, I, I, no, I might be anti-queer. And I, I, I say this just to say, you know, I grew up in a different environment. And I grew up with seeing, you know, like George Michael and Freddie Mercury and Right Said Fred and Stephen Fry and Graham Norton. And yeah, yeah. It, it, it was just very natural for me and, and friends around me at school and all of this kind of thing. Um, and so, you know, it, it, it's completely normal and I accept and I love the community and all, all good. But my, my question here is, I think if I grew up in South Korea in the 1980s, I think I might be against it just because of the environment mm -hmm. that I might have grown up in. Yeah. I'm not saying that I would like that. <laughs> what, what, <laughs> what, do you have any take on that, Youngwoo? Is, is this something that we're conditioned by our environment or is it some kind of universal value that we can achieve? Because it's something that worries me a lot. It's like, where does my support come from or could it be different? Well, um, I also used to think that like the pro-queer um, stance is a very like young thing or like Gen Z thing to an extent. Um, but I was actually surprised during the uh, the this year's queer um, festival that there were actually a lot of elderlies um, who looked um, way older than me, but still like coming to support. Um, um, so I, I was actually shocked that um, the spectrum of pro-queer individuals or people who support for queer rights or people who are willing to you know show up you know are mm. not only different different in terms of like their identity but also in terms of their age group so i would say that like you know the older you are you tend to be more conservative leaning not yeah in terms of like the cultural values and things like that but i think it doesn't necessarily define um, like, you know, like what you believe in and the values that you aspire for, because um, I do have a lot of these sort of discussions with my family. And in fact, my family's very open um, about that. Um, so I would say um, that there there are a different um, spectrum of people, even within a particular age group, even the elderlies. Yeah. That's really nice to hear, I must say, because you're right, there is this, you know, if we just frame it in a certain way, it's young progressive Koreans and old 
Korean Protestants, but it, it's more complex than that in reality. Isn't yeah. It? And there's there's young and old people on both sides, and there might even be some Protestant people on one side and not on the you know there might even be some people that support it. I I think it would be really interesting sometimes if there could be more. positive this sounds ridiculous but more positive vibes around the conversation and more good stories yeah. shared, shared on social media and you know just you for example talking about old people at the festival or the openness of your family they're things that i think that can encourage those things to be spread like a meme to other people but if the yeah. stories we're always sharing is about attacks and division and gen i think those yeah. also spread Should there be more good vibes around this conversation or does that make light of a very serious situation? Um, I think that we definitely need more positive discussions. Uh, and, and in fact, it's like, uh, I think these things are happening to an extent because one of the, one of the organizations that um, partook in the queer festival was um, the, the organization of the parents whose um, children are um, like, children whose children are queer or who identify themselves as queer um and these parent group what they do is they advocate for queer rights they show up in the you know the event and um express that they are willing to support for their um like sons and daughter and they are they um think that it's completely fine and they're even willing to step out and like um you know create social change in order for not themselves but like you know for their Um, children. So I think that that was definitely very amazing. Um, I think that um, I think that these kind of discussions can happen way more for um, people to have a more um, uh, diversified viewpoint as to what it means to support queer. It's not like queer people only supporting for their own rights, but it can be their parents supporting for their children or, um, you know, like friends of them supporting for their friends and things like that. Yeah, completely agree. I've already had these thoughts. I, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but I'll say it because it's honest that, you know, I'll sit there watching my kids grow up and thinking, what if one of them grows up to be queer? What would I do then? And mm -hmm. it, it, it's just these thoughts that enter my mind now of having it. And I, I think it's good to, to preempt or to prepare and to, to be psychologically ready, but cross those bridges when we come to it. Um, so perhaps good vibes are important on that good vibes thing the israeli ambassador ambassador tor is a fascinating chap he he spoke to you about being uh uh and he spoke to everybody in the same way don't worry he spoke to oh, really? yeah, yeah, it's his, even even to yvonne and to me like that's just his style um and i applaud him for it it's refreshing um he he spoke to you about being a little bit more perhaps empathetic to the protestant position in their feedback i mean uh, and again feel free to push back on this but is there a way that it's possible to to empathize with the protestant position or, or or to try to see them in a better light or it's like no you guys have the wrong take on this and you stay over there mm. uh, it, it's a very difficult question for you young U, but if you have a thought on it perhaps or well i actually um 
Uh, during doing my research, actually, uh, I inter like, like I told you, I I interviewed a lot of active the couple activists, and um, I I had one like very huge perception changing moment because when I was doing all these discourse analysis, I had to read through what these you know institutions are saying, and at mm -hmm. one point I was a little bit fed up. Like, why are they hating like the queer community so much? Like, why are they so like angry? To the point where I felt very uncomfortable, but. Mm -hmm. When I was interviewing one this one activist, and I asked her, um, wh why are queer community in fact quite um, silent or uh, like not taking a more radical or more hardline stance against the Protestant institution? Uh, like you know, when they hate us so much, like why are we like not saying anything about that? Um, and I think that one thing that really changed my thought was that. Um, in fact, even within the queer community, there are people who are Christian or who have like religion. Um, and if you really think of it, um, if it is true that a lot of Protestant institutions tend to be more anti-queer, then these people already ha have experienced that, um, you know, rejection from the religious institutions that they have been attending to. Um, and I think that religion is not just like religion as a like, as a like what you believe in, but it's also things that um, create or define sometimes your family or your community and friends that you get along with. And if you are someone who already have like experienced rejection from your social circle in some way, um, the queer community shouldn't reject them. Like that's why queer community is not outright, um, I would say like radical or mm. like being aggressive against these institutions. And I thought that that was very important because um, I think Although my research was sort of like uh, the dynamics between the Protestant institution and the queer community, but in fact, the reality isn't like dichotomous or it's not like binary. There are people who are in between. And so I think that it's very important. Like I think that the point of empathy is also important because um, not for the sake of the Protestant individuals and people who oppose queer rights, but I think it's also about people who are in between as well mm -hmm. and who um, need that safe space and who wish to feel some level of belongingness to a greater community, especially people who were who already have experienced that level of, you know, like rejection and denial and things like that. Yeah. It's amazing. The more you speak to people and, and you do the research that you'll find people that don't fit into those two categories, right? Yeah. And, and they, it's like that middle of the Venn diagram or something like that, but they overlap and that's actually been my personal experience here in Korea, you know, that I know people inside Christian organizations that are part of that community as well. And, and they go all over the place and it's a little bit harder to pass those kind of views. But I, I think I, I'm really glad that you did that research and, and you looked at those things and hopefully it contributes to something better. Is just before we perhaps I, I want to ask you a couple of things about, you know, your life and uh, advice, but is there anything that we should say about the Protestant community or, or, or that part before we move on? Young? Is there anything we've missed or? Well, um, I think uh, so. This is just my personal like take. Uh, I think that analyzing the Protestant institution in Korea is very important. Um, in terms of like the their dynamics with the queer community, but I think that the messaging of the queer community um, should be uh, based on something else. So what I mean by that is that again, like because it's not binary, mm. the queer movement or um, 
the queer activism should not position itself as if which they are the anti-protestant or anti-church. Um, and I think that trying to have a positive conversation or positive message to the um, the external society, like people who do not identify themselves as protestant, but at the same time do not have to do not like hugely support the queer community. I think if we're able to persuade these types of people, it's probably when we can have some level of further positive change. Um, so I think that the although like in terms of I, I think this is like this is kind of like aligned with like um, being optimistic and like being pessimistic. Um, mm. You might want to focus on the um, protestant institutions um, and uh, analyze um, why they hate the queer community and like um, where did the anti-queer rhetorics come from in Korea. But I think that if we are aiming for something that is more like constructive, I think that we also have to diverge our focus to like other realm or other domains of the society. Yeah. That conversation is is really difficult. In the last six months, I've had uh, somebody come to me for like sangdam or counseling. And, and one of their questions was, uh, they asked me, how can they persuade a Christian to accept their so this 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 person asked me how can they persuade a, a, another christian to accept this person's uh queer identity and it was such a difficult question because my immediate response to this person was you shouldn't try to convince them you don't need justification <laughs> from that group for your identity just be yourself and if they don't accept you for who you are your identity is not uh, driven by their perceptions or their acceptance yeah, yeah. or their rejection. But the person, you know, they pushed back to me a little bit and the, <laughs> I, I felt really, but they were like, no, it, it's about f feeling seen, you know, it's about not mm -hmm. feeling heartbroken. It's about uh, being recognized as an individual. And, and that kind of made me rethink the whole conversation and, and what I needed to be saying. But like you, I, I, I definitely don't have the answers to this, but there's something that, that can and should be done there, I think. And it, it will probably come through discussions and empathy and awareness yeah. and understanding. I think it's also important to remember that, like, in Korean society, there's loads of groups just hating on each other all day, every yeah. day. It's not just about, like, the queer community and the Protestants, but these people hate the communists and these people hate the Japanese and these people. It's, <laughs> yeah. We need more of this somehow, don't we, Youngu? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's true. I think, like, that's why I think, like, the idea of, like, like the homo became such a key word in Korea recently, right? Like, how people are infighting and, like, like you know, having the animosity against different groups and things like that. Mm, yeah. It seems to be, it's a difficult thing, I think, with the idea of individualism and identity and community. It's, there'll be a way out of this, I'm sure. Um, I want to ask you about this. So thank you for your research. But while I have you, and, and before I let you go, you've you've achieved so much already. Like, I, de <laughs> I, 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 I really hate to think of what I was doing when I was your age, but it wasn't <laughs> it wasn't speaking to ambassadors and winning competitions and doing all this. <laughs> so you're doing great. I really mean that. Thank you. What what advice or what might you say because you know there's there's younger people that listen to this as well i know um and older people but what have you learned from this what advice do you think would be important for 
young people growing up going to university to hear Yangu? Um, I would say that it's very important to, like, pull yourself out of your comfort zone, which is, like, not easy thing for me, but, um, because I feel like, um, uh, there are a lot of things that you learn in the, like, by, by just the process, and, um, I think that, like, even for me, when I look back, I think, um, I was afraid of things like failure, or, or I was, like, content with where I am at one point but I think that trying to push myself to like beyond the limit or beyond the boundary I think that's something that is very important because even for like like you know um Asia society program I also um I was very like afraid of the fact that there are like people who are pursuing their masters and PhD like competing with me with their research and I was like um would I be able to like get any achievement but I think that like you know even if I didn't necessarily like win this competition I think for like again like for the fact that I was able to do an independent research in itself was very like rewarding experience um and like who knows because like you know you might win things at the end um I think these are all very important uh like just to push yourself to your limits. Um, because I think especially for in, in Korea, like um like people do refrain themselves to an extent because, you know, um, I, I guess not only in Korea, but just like in general, because people don't want to feel down, people don't want to like, you know, feel disappointed. Um and I actually have been like that sometimes, but I think that mm -hmm. um it's always very important to try different things and um, try to see what, you know, what you're interested in. Because um, I think, like, the more you actively try to discover the opportunities or discover different experience that, experiences that you're able to access to, I think that just, um, in like, broadens the scope of, um, like, the activities that you're exposed to. And I think that that ultimately like is what constructs your preference and allows you to understand that like what you understand what you like and what you don't like or what you're good at. Um, yeah, so I think my advice that I would give is just to try on different things um, and perhaps maybe like uh, exert like or yourself even to the things that um, might seem not feasible or probable because like to be fair i also um have an experience of not of not winning any award in certain like like paper competition or like you know essay competition and things like that yeah you can fail so many times but you only need to win once that's the idea you, yeah exactly you, that's exactly. it you've got to get used to failure and yeah that's uh sorry are you you sound like a, a fabulous existentialist already, by the way, I'd say. <laughs> if you haven't read any Jean-Paul Sartre or anything like that. Yeah, that's... I mean, I learned the um, yeah, existentialism, yeah, like like last semester, yeah. There you go. I, I did that. Like, I would spend six months being a Taoist, and then I spent six months being a Marxist, and then I spent... Do you know what I mean? I'd get really <laughs> into something, and I would just yeah, yeah. embrace it and live it and read it, and then move on to something else and I, I would keep parts of it in me and mix them all around there was no one essential mm. thing which is nice yeah um last question for you young then i guess are you scared of anything 
Um, you don't, I mean, you seem to be approaching all of these things. The, the, the competitions I asked you have a chat about this and you're like, yeah, man, no problem. <laughs> it's, uh, is, there, <laughs> is there anything that, is there anything that makes you go, whoa, it might, it might be personal. It might be international. Is there anything that, that you fear? Well, um, even if I just talked about that, <laughs> you shouldn't be afraid of failure. I am obviously like afraid of failure because like, um, what if I um, end up, you know, not being able to achieve things that I want? Or for example, especially like during when I work, um, what if I don't get this project done well? Like <laughs> what happens and things like that. Um, but I think that that's also, I think that that fear is also what um, makes me try harder to an extent. Yeah. Because um, like, I was also like afraid, like, what if my research quality is like bad for this like competition that, you know, like no one cares about like what I research in my presentation. Um, and there are a lot of like professors or there are going to be like extensive, like um, people who grade my um, presentation and my paper. Yeah. So I think um, that fear was also what made me um, try harder and um, definitely put a lot more effort in. So um, yeah, I, I would say that I'm afraid of those failures that might happen, but I think that's also what makes me, um, like, try more and also what makes me, you know, like, um, push myself a little bit further. Yeah. You have high standards, man. I think that's what it is. <laughs> I, I, I think, you know, you, you seem to have high standards and you, failure might come, but you won't accept failure. I, the big failures that a few failures I've had in my life to date. I learned mm -hmm. so much more from those than yeah. all the successes. Yeah. But there's a couple of failures that stick out where I didn't get something over the line or didn't get that position or didn't get that thing. Learned so much from it. And those yeah, yeah, were the moments absolutely. that you grow. The successes, you just post a photo on Insta and you're like, yeah, yeah I'm cool. And, <laughs> yeah. and nothing changes. <laughs> nothing changes. Exactly. Yangu, thank you so much. All right. Um. Thank you also for like um having me here as well. I I saw your like previous podcast and you had a lot of like amazing um, you know like guests. I guess um yeah. And I and I felt very like um honored to be you know like you know like be part of your podcast series as well. I like getting to know you, man. It was good fun. I, I, I right. genuinely mean that. Just uh, thank you. I'm gonna cut it there. So.